The episode today is a replay from Fringe Legal Edge. This is something that is broadcasted live on Fridays at 11am Chicago and 5pm UK. Just in case you're not able to make this time, we wanted to present the conversation for your complete entertainment and enjoyment. Before we get started, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. This is a weekly roundup of interesting things. Every Sunday, I send out an exclusive email with three to five of the coolest things we've explored that week. It could include exclusive content, sneak peek at future projects, books, articles, or new hacks. The emails are available only if you subscribe to the newsletter and more than 530 people receive it every single week. You can join up at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's completely free. All right. Um, welcome, everyone, to Fringe Legal Edge. If this is the first time you're joining us, this is a weekly show where I speak to experts and leaders around different ways that you can give your practice an edge. And today I am delighted to be joined by Alex Hamilton, who's the CEO and the founder of Radiant Law, a UK-based award-winning new law firm. Alex is focused on improving the contracting process for clients, leading product and tech development. He also regularly talks and writes quite a lot on improving contracting, law tech, changing legal industry, and so many more interesting things. Uh, He has led a number of projects where he's been recognized by the Financial Times Innovative Lawyer Award. And before founding Radiant Law, he was a partner at Nathan Watkins and the co-chair of the Global Technology Transactions Group. All around, he's quite an awesome guy very well knowledgeable and uh, they're coming up to their 10 year anniversary of founding of Radiant Law. So we'll dig into a whole bunch of things. And Alex, you're in South Africa still or you've moved back to London? I am. I'm sitting it out down here, not coming back to all the madness. Is over. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure the weather is certainly helping that as well. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. And yeah, I mentioned this actually on the very last episode of this, uh, the show I did. One of the joys of me doing this is I often get to speak to people only by text. And then the first time I speak to them in person is through this medium. So yeah, I'm incredibly right. great. Doing it live. We are doing yeah. it live. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no problem. So yeah, there's uh, probably two or three things I wanted to talk about. As you do talk quite a lot about contracting and I know that will continue to be the trend, I'm sure, in, in the next year. I will get into that a little bit as well. I did want to get into this thing I found on the Radiant Law site called Radiant Benchmark, which sounded very interesting to me. But as I mentioned in the intro, as, as the firm is coming up to the 10 year anniversary, I wanted to see if we can start there a decade into it. I would love to hear what you've learned, if you've had time to reflect or if it's just been full steep, speed ahead. Any sort of major things and actually to frame the conversation, anything that you thought you would have seen happen in the profession quite dramatically, maybe that has happened and that is yet to be realized. Those would be the two things that came immediately to mind. Yeah, so when we started, I think we were gloriously naive and I think we massively underestimated how hard it was to actually run a company and to actually change the way lawyers work. Theory is a lot easier in this case. But the thing we were expecting was a lot more change in the industry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's not like it hasn't happened. And I suppose 
Now, I did a slightly snarky tweet, I have to admit, earlier, which is probably where you got the 10-year thing from congratulating another bloody law firm for starting another clone managed legal service provider. Looking now from where we were 10 years ago, when obviously no one was doing that, you know, one of the first. And um, so there has been progress, but it's been slow, right? I mean, really what's happened is everyone's talked a lot. Um, and, um, you know, I, 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 I fear that um, too many customers have been fobbed off too easily by their law firm, who they'd rather keep working with than do any real change or anything hard or challenging where start using words like AI or other such nonsense and, and that's good enough. So, so I don't think there's been enough change and where there has been change, I think it's been quite token. So that was surprising because obviously we, you know, it's a pretty foolish thing to do, leaving someone like Nathan Watkins to do something like <laughs> this. And, and um, one, one expected that, that a lot more would happen, but Still, things have happened, and we've had a hell of a ride with the clients, incredible clients have come on board, and learned tons on the way. So it hasn't been a totally wasted decade. And certainly, I think we're well positioned for the next one. Yes, and what's been, and I ask this because I think depending on who's in your network, it actually, at least for me personally, it's easy for me to sometimes become a bit disillusioned about how fast things are progressing and how much they're progressing. Right. And then you stay, take a step back and you step into the real world. You speak to some clients, you speak to some GCs and you do realize maybe things aren't moving as much and as fast as you know, those that are actually leading the charge might lead you to believe. So it does. there is absolutely a bit of a selection bias for me there. Yeah, the bubble. Yeah, the bubble, the very real bubble. What do you think, if you could go back and redo and start again, what would be, and just purely from a business perspective, what would you tell yourself 10 years in the past to be mindful of? Other than, of course, you would have a lot more experience and the naivety, which I think is helpful, frankly, because if, like most people, if you knew how difficult it was probably going to be, you may not have right. done it to begin right. with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What are some key things that you think you maybe would have approached a bit sooner in the journey than you did, perhaps? I just get frustrated with myself how long it takes to figure stuff out. So I think, but I think that's just the way. I think I'm a very unreasonable person. So <laughs> no, a lawyer being unreasonable, a CEO being unreasonable. That's never. Oh, uh, exactly. <laughs> no, I think people you do it with need to be have the right motivations, same motivations as you. I, th I think, I think we've learned to be more patient and I think I could have saved myself an awful lot of heartache, just recognizing that this will be a slower, slower process and surround yourself with people who are comfortable with a slower pace because, yeah. but it, it, it's hard to think how you could have done it really differently. There was just, you just have to learn the hard way, <laughs> yeah. the painful things. And there is a real cap on it, which is we've now got the concept of things like managed legal services, which is our core product, you know, taking over the day-to-day -day negotiations of people's big companies' contracts. 
that's a pretty new market. We've actually been trying to create a new market and there, there, there are only a few clients still actually doing it. If you look at something like I mean, the ACC survey I was looking at the other day, it had something like two, three yeah. percent companies. That's fabulous because we've now got a great business, A, and B, lots of people to sell to in the future because, yeah. you know, everyone gets there eventually. But like I did with outsourcing, I need to be an outsourcing lawyer. I know this trend, but I don't think we could have grown that much faster without taking capital. And I think taking capital would have been disastrous because that puts a clock on you that we wouldn't have been able to keep up with. successfully. Yeah, Yeah. no, completely understand that. And give, and, and purposefully, I haven't gone too much into why and how you sounded radiant, just because I know you've spoken about it quite a lot. And I think it's worth people just Googling Alex and search for Latham Memo and you'll get the full story in yeah. many places. Not too often, yeah. It's <laughs> like you, good. Yeah. And how distributed are you now? So you're obviously in South Africa, you're in, the, you're in London, I know you're hiring people in Asia Pac Toronto, as well. and then developers all over the place, yeah. actually all over the place. Uh, are you noticing regional trends, anything like that at all? Or it's all same sort of pace and improvement and demand? No, I think the English-speaking markets are, are significantly ahead. I think it's an Anglo-Saxon phenomenon. This. I don't think there's really any real interest on the continent or any real interest much happening in Asia. Um, and America hasn't done that much because they're so damn rich. They're like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> gloriously rich. So I don't think they felt the same pressures. So what was have been frustrated at the yeah. pace and so on, I think the UK has moved about as fast as anywhere. Mm. So, so I don't think it's con- constant. And I think I'm expecting that to continue. I don't, I don't think this is going to happen anytime soon. Although it's always nice when you meet one brave individual in any given country. So I was speaking to someone in, in one of the European countries the other day, I won't say which one, uh, who's about to launch there. And I think that's fabulous and would certainly be a surprise, I think, when it happens. Yeah, uh, no, I, I agree with you. And every now and then you do come across that individual. And I think maybe you wrote this or I read this somewhere elsewhere. There is a, I think, an increased level of frustration for those that have been practicing and the general tenure has become three to five years before you get so frustrated that you certainly want to change and the change is either <laughs> i'm leaving legal forever uh, extreme one yeah, or it's the something young guys who, who yeah. will leave and often now what turn up at legal tech companies either they yeah. Them or, <laughs> yeah which is fair enough i think there's a lot to be said one of the great things that's happened is there are a lot more opportunities now to do interesting yeah. things, I think, and, and associated with the industry. And I think maybe, yeah, if I was a young lawyer, I'd probably bugger off out of a law firm instead of legal tech. <laughs> yep, and it's certainly happening. Or go and start your own one. That seems to be happening quite a mm. lot as well. So I'm going to go back to one of the topics which you have written extensively about, which is contracting. But I do want to yeah. take a slightly different approach to it. So look, I, don't, I don't think you'll get too many arguments, I hope, where people understand that contracting is it's painful, there's unnecessary barriers, certainly for the end client where 
contracts are far too complicated and if there's a need to simplify the language, but to still serve the same purpose, which is to give you the protections. That's the reason that contracts are there. They're there to help you develop a long-term relationships and you don't want to start that long-term relationship with a fight on <laughs> the most minute of all details, which is often the case. Yeah, And I know you have written on this and you've spoken on this. And one of the things which actually led me to reaching out to you was the contracting mistake series, uh, which I think you published the latest one on, right? Recently on number six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what, what's been the, the take on that? And I, I asked this because, as I said, people are happy to agree and not along to these things. Are you seeing people actually starting to change their behaviors and trying to mm. simplify contracts and do something mm. about it? We are actually. We're, we're actually, it's, it's spooky. It's, I think it's been, it feels like this year, but I think it's been coming. Increasingly, clients are like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get it down to three, four pages. Let's do it. Yeah. And that's fantastic. So no, I do think that's changed happening. And I was expecting more pushback about that series, but maybe just people just ignore me. Um, <laughs> I don't know. People read and comment on it quite a lot. So yeah, for and it's worth checking it out. So you can find it on the Radiant blog. I find it on LinkedIn. The six so far have been accepting no time for important and not urgent, assuming that change requires big banks. Legal should stick to legal. That was one of my favorites. One more lawyer, robust terms and robust in quotation marks there. And yeah. deals are different. That's the latest one. When you see more acceptance from clients, is it mostly just they want something that's faster to review, easier to understand? What are they actually wanting to get out of this? Because I imagine as you're reviewing more and more contracts as a GC, you frankly just want to be able to read a lot less and just or read just the relevant things. Is that mostly what's causing the change, driving the change? It's an act of desperation. I think (laughs) it's like management our, our contention is that contracting matters right that these contracts are where you get your money into your business how you get things done because no one builds their own anything these days they just subcontract subcontract and and sell so these contracts matter and yet i don't think companies take them terribly seriously and i think the lawyers involved take them seriously but they're being starved of resources and more for less and all of that and yep. everyone hates the term but it's still bloody happening so something has to give and we're you know bring a message of if you're reasonable your terms are short clear reasonable relevant if you put a bit of simple imp- automation in place if you treat this like a tameable process and with then the latest one is about actually treat it like a process rather than everything's wild crazy exceptions yeah then you have a chance to spend more time in the pub and you know whatever it is when the pub's open again but so uh, and i and no one's been been given more resources in fact we're seeing teams shrink right now mm-hmm. it's pretty brutal what's going on out there all sorts yeah. of courses terrible personal tragedies a lot of people and and, and they, they don't have time what used to be we'll make sure we'll stiff them every which way <laughs> who's got time for those debates any longer so so i and i think it's nicer to be reasonable i think you actually create better relationships 
Yeah, and uh, I think that does lead me into the uh, the benchmark uh, that you provide as a service, I want to say. Well, it's, it's, it's that free, isn't it? So <laughs> just go onto our website and fill in a form and we'll send you your answer and tell you what you're doing. So actually, I've been rewriting that. There's a new version coming out in January, but um, awesome. still fill that one in. Won't be wrong. And, and the idea is to do what? To understand at which point in your contracting process you can find some efficiencies by automating it? Or what are you trying to provide? Yeah, so our contention is that this is not rocket science and this is not greenfield territory, right? That how you build a sane contracting process is well, relatively well understood. And you need to put certain things in place. And there's a logical sequence to it. So we started with building thing called the contracting capability maturity model thing, which is like a five-stage process you go through, you know, lots of good old maturity models. We've actually simplified it. So that's what's coming out of the next version and basically go, all right, there's three things you need to do. It's really simple. You got to make it a repeatable process. Uh, you put the basic pieces in place. You put some basic automation in place, I robots, because I like that term, because everyone gets so upset by it. And, and then it's all refinement after that. It's continuous improvement. And the, these things are pretty straightforward. And we, rather than treating everything as this kind of massive transformation projects and so on, we just need to do these simple things. And they're doable and achievable. And then your life will be a lot better. And so, so the benchmark was interesting, particularly because a lot of, we got a lot of data out of it. And the data basically says that everyone's been rubbish, right? Really? <laughs> no one, no one, maybe one or two exceptions, but not many have actually done most of the basics and put all the, pe the, kind of stuff, the pieces in place. And that's pretty extraordinary. The good news is for, for all the, audience, the audience who are feeling guilty about their contracting, and there are lots of people based on everyone always, it's like confessionals we run when we do meetings with potential clients. They go, well, you know, we haven't done anything. And you go, well, don't worry, no one else has either. Everyone assumes they're behind, but the reality is the whole industry is rubbish. So, so what's come out of that is fabulous data, which basically says, <laughs> very little of this stuff has been done despite all of the talk and the noise but actually these are the key bits that you really need to focus on and so 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 hence the new version is going to be coming out which kind of simplifies it again which is a key thing we like to do and i've been writing a book so telling you how to do it so there you go excellent well we'll, we'll come to the book in a second because i do want to talk about that so when you, so when you look at the contracting process, you have intake, you have draft, you negotiate, you sign, and you manage. Now, other than just one specific area out of this five where you find people are particularly bad at, do you, how, how do you think people actually track this? Because this is, my, this is at least one of my, I, I don't know, quorums, issues, whatever you want to call them, where I actually don't think for most individuals and most businesses, they do a good enough job of tracking how well they're doing in any of those areas or just as a whole? It's terrible. It's all based on just gut feeling. Yeah, no, people, people can't tell you how many contracts they do a year. And if, if, if you ask and they say, all right, we'll, we'll figure out how many we've got on. And I'm like, that's not how That's funny. Right. <laughs> you can't, number came in over a period. So, so yeah, that's a bit of a challenge. Right. And 
and we are throwing away data left and center. I'm a big proponent of a fairly advanced data management technique, which I think maybe beyond the reach of many of the audience, but maybe a few can do it called a pencil and paper. And just like sample is <laughs> incredibly powerful. You, what you do is you write down a list of things then you just put a mark against them when they happen or something. <laughs> I mean, a little bit sarcastic, just a little bit because people aren't doing that. But it, what's wonderful about that is I think we've built over-hyped expectations about we're going to put all these systems in place and they're going to give us all this data. What actually happens is if you do get the system in, which is unlikely because budget and pain of transformation and all the rest of it, if you do, you actually only get a relatively small amount of data and pretty soon you've done everything you can do with that data. And it's a little bit bar backwards because really where you should be starting with is your question and then figuring out what you need to know in order to answer the question well enough, as opposed to what data have we got? What does that tell us? It's a little bit more purposeful. So, you know, we actually had the biggest, I've got this wonderful data analyst. We've built our own system. We've got all this data coming out. And it's fabulous what he's doing. Right. But actually a lot of the impact you have is go to the team. Just keep track of what are the current obstacles? What are the things that are coming up in negotiations all the time? What are the things yeah. that are stopping you from getting on a contract? Keep a list of those and then just grind away on those and watch those numbers come down and then work on something else and something else. So, so I, yeah, we do need data. We shouldn't be throwing away as much data as we do with our tech, but actually there's a lot we can do right now without any magic that we're really help. But, and I think... That's super important because it's so easy for people to start getting into this comparison game of the IACCM has published all of these data points or they have this mm -hmm. or that. And, but you just, it's difficult for an individual to even have a snapshot. And it's, I can't stress enough how often I've gotten a feeling of how well a business is doing based on the last contract they were part of and that is as far away from being scientific as you can guess because mm. you just it is the most emotional reaction to something and which is bad in itself but then you let that drive your future business decisions on these are the issues we're going to fix and you're completely ignoring that that may only have been that one client or even that one contract or that one council that you've worked with and that becomes the basis for how you're going to drive your business it is nuts it is absolutely yeah. nuts yeah. um yeah you've you got to take a slightly bigger picture uh, and uh, i think that's <laughs> this is the history of this is the, the whole reality of contracting right is we're all fighting the last war all of us come to this with whatever scars we have from previous negotiations which become the most important points the old generals and this knowledge gets passed down from you know, treasured knowledge passed down from generation to generation and then poor ken adams comes along and just it's just like, oh my God, what is this nonsense for right? yeah. of this awful drafting and yeah. ridiculous points, <laughs> esoteric debates about nothing. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. A bit of yeah. empiricism. And so and bigger than yes. <laughs> and you're writing a book on how to solve all of the world's problems. Um, all of the world's problems yeah. that relate to your contracts. Yeah. So so sign here, it's gonna be called I'm just doing a 
final draft where it goes off to the publishers, which is it's a terribly simple book. Try to keep it as short as possible, right. which simply says these are the basics you put in place. Repeatability, robots, refinement, and these are the things. These are the things that really help. Uh, and don't get too worried about AI. <laughs> Underline that's the subtitle of the book. It said, "Don't worry too much about AI." Sign here. <laughs> yeah. Um, when does that come out? I think that'll be out beginning of Q2, so around Easter or something. Oh, awesome. That's, yeah, uh, yeah, looking forward to reading that. We have about five minutes or less left. What's your, I do ask this, I didn't prep you for this at all, so I'm going to ask for the off-the-cuff restaurant. No, so, someone who's, imagine you're just starting and you're a, you're becoming an associate after your traineeship or something along those mm. lines, right? You are still maybe what you were like 10 years ago, completely sort of big sparkling eyes of I'm going to change the world. This is what the change is. And whether you are in a small outfit, whether you're in-house or you're in you know, a large firm like Latham or something like that, how can, how can you actually do something about making your contracts better or just making the profession a little bit better? So you're not just fighting the battles mm. of last decades because you don't have the scars yet, hopefully. Um, how, do you mm. set, how do you actually start with creating a better path for the future? I start doing it. Uh, I think reading would be a really good start. I'm like a huge fan of books because you don't have time to figure it all out. Yeah. And there are so many good, and especially reading outside law. So I've talked about Ken's book, but yeah. your style of contract drafting, you should read that, but also read things like how to measure anything. That was Hubbard, and you should read about lean and design thinking, and loads and loads and loads. I'll, I'll post a link on Twitter after this yeah. suggested reading list. So that's step one. Step two is play. There's nothing like actually picking stuff up and hacking, aka just making something that works, however simple. So I highly recommend being hands-on and actually building stuff. I, there, there are too many people wandering around with highfalutin ideas who never quite get to anything, right? So actually producing stuff would be super helpful. I'm sure there's a three, but there you go, two for now. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I know from personal experience that process of creation is so important. You learn so much from that and you make actually you make a lot of mistakes from that as well which is great um, but you make it in as much of a controlled environment as you can create for yourself but the, and there's so much stuff available right now so you, in your environment you probably got office 365 yeah. and power automate and bi and so yeah. on all sorts of actually incredibly powerful tools you may well have a copy of a license for kira around the thing which no one <laughs> ever using after they bought it for the press release you could actually use this for some things, heaven forbid. You know, there are all sorts of tools available. A spreadsheet, you'd be amazed what you can do in a spreadsheet. So just play. So, and actually just therefore find slightly smarter ways of doing stuff. Yeah, no, I, I think... I'm uh, really grateful when you go, by the way, if you, here's a tool I've, I've created that make your life a whole lot easier. So. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Awesome. I know we're just coming up to time. Alex, thank you again for joining me. I'll, I'll, I'll 
keep your commitment to me and I'll get that list from you on recommended reading because uh, similar to you, actually, I'm a huge fan of books. I do not profess to be an expert, but it's much easier to just steal all the knowledge from other experts who've written out and give them credit. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> and there's so much that applies from the big bad world out there that we brought back to law. So yeah, no, maybe I'll add a few to that. I'm on that. That was my huge. That was my huge thing from COVID that I couldn't fly anymore and I couldn't travel as much. So I had a lot more time. I'm on book number twenty-seven for the year. So yeah, I'll add, I'll add something there. Excellent, excellent. I love some recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And yeah, we look forward to your book signed here coming out in Q2. Hopefully in Q2, I'll keep posted on that. And yeah, thank you again. You can reach Alex through LinkedIn. I think is probably the best place, and on RadiantLaw.com. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Alex, and everyone else. Have a wonderful weekend and speak to us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Before you go, please share this with one other person and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by me, Abjad Saraswath. Paula Chrysostomu is the manager for the show, and Pretty Saraswath is the content strategist. You can listen to all previous episodes and reach out to us at fringelegal.com. Thank you.